Yo, <clears throat> yo, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm your boy, the lost African, the Afro boy. Uh, full disclaimer, because I'm talking about religion or anything I talk about that may become semi-controversial, I always like to give a disclaimer. Um, I classify as a spiritualist. Um, so I do not classify uh, as any single religion. I do believe in God and the higher power, uh, you know, that my family members are having so which for, but I have amidst respect uh, for the other uh, religions and the things that can be of value to us, especially us as black people. Um, I am for the betterment of black people, all Afro people around the world, um, which is why you'll hear me talk about the Islamic influence on uh, black history worldwide. Um, and I want to start with the earliest. Oh, also, what another reason that made me make this uh, or do this show is because we broke into, or my voice broke into Israel. So as soon as I seen it, I was like, yo, um, my podcast made it to Israel. So that was dope. Shout out to Israel and shout out to uh, Australia. Those are the two newest countries that we just broke into. Um, but I want to talk about uh, Islam and Islamic faith uh, because there are a lot of Muslims in the world and there are a lot of black Muslims either either here in America or across the world. Um, probably one of the two most dominant religions um, in the world is Christianity and um, Islamic faith uh, from being a Muslim or uh, Israelite, because they are also uh, Hebrews or um, Arabic speaking people. I kind of view Israelites and Muslims the same way I kind of see like Christians and Baptists, the people who read the same book, which just have a, a alternative interpretation of it. So um, the earliest mention of Islam was in 650 AD, um, where they came into northern East Africa. And these were um, the Arabs that came from um, Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. And they came into northern East Africa and they ran into uh, the Nubian people. Now, I've heard the term Nubian before. And I had did a little bit of research on that. So Nubians were uh, the black Africans of, of like Northern East Africa and they were of Christian faith. So that's why I always say it's not like um, black people wasn't Christian or didn't adopt Christianity uh, in that method. It was just different, but um, they were of Christian faith and they came to us with the uh, Islamic people, the Arabs. And once they came to a decision of where, you know, we're gonna do a peace treaty, all right? And the beauty of that I learned when it comes to whenever I hear historical facts about people who are Muslim, they always, always allowed you to be you. They say, are you gonna respect the, uh, I guess you wanna call it the uh, odds of odds of war? Um, when we do fight, if you do lose, uh, you know, we, we win and these are our terms. We'll come to an agreement. Their agreement was called the uh, Baquet Agreement. Please don't, uh, please don't uh, bash me if I don't say some of the words 100% correctly, you know. But what I found out that they do is that they always allow the um, opposing force or the force that lost to keep their religion. They allow them to be them. They just say, hey, you know, we won. 
we at peace. We don't want to fight no more. Or it is what it is. Um, can we turn to this? And upon this agreement, we'll allow you to practice your religion. They never force anyone to become Muslim. They say, if you're a Christian or whatever your faith is, you are allowed to keep that. This is just our guidelines upon the agreement. And I always thought that that was um, beautiful in their faith as if they, they don't force anything. They're not forcing you to convert. None of that. They don't judge you for your version of, of your faith or whatever it is that you believe in. They just say, hey, this how we roll. Respect that. Um, next to that, there is a eastern country called um, Anterior, which was in East Africa. This was in East Africa. And they said that during the times of trouble, there was an Islamic group that traveled from Mecca across to Eastern Africa. So they crossed the Red Sea um, into Alteria, and it was supposed to be, by their saying, all the information, full disclaimer also, all the information I'm getting from, you can find on YouTube. This is from various YouTube videos. Um, please don't take anything that I say as fact. This is just my interpretation of the research. But back to what I was saying. So. The group of Israelite people, I mean, not Israelite, the group of Islamic people came over from Mecca or Saudi Arabia or Middle Eastern part where Mecca is because they were having times of trouble, distraught, maybe due to food or, or lack of resources or anything like that. And they will cross the Red Sea into Africa. And that part of the information made me think a lot of the Israelites because one of the things that I learned um, talking to Israelite people that I know or watching videos is that their version of their story or the Hebrews is that they come from that part of the world, the eastern part of the world, and they travel in to Africa. They crossed uh, to rain seas and they traveled into Africa. So that reminded me a lot of the Israelites as far as the things that you find throughout history that if you open your mind enough, you'll see a lot of the similarities. It's just that people grasp or relate to different versions. That's how I kind of see uh, the world. So you know how the evils crossing to Africa, crossing the Red Sea, that same version or that place as far as being the Red Sea is also mentioned in the Bible, even mentioned in um, Christianity when it comes to those Hebrews that was led by Moses and he parts the what the Red Sea, um, but then we're gonna go back more into to Islam and Islamic faith. So there are people that are called the Almorvids and Almorhats. Um, these are dynasties. These are dynasties um, that were created in Africa, but they are more naturally known by the term the Moors. That is that their their original name or their dynasties are the Amor Amorvits and the Amorhats. That's their actual names as far as the dynasties that they represent in Africa. But when they were doing all their travels, trading, um, and these are all Muslim people. These are all black Muslim people or um, you know African descended people who are of Muslim faith or who are Muslim. So they started the dynasties in 17 and 750s up to like the end of the rule of like what you would call the Dark Ages. You'll hear the term the Dark Ages in um, European history. 
and their civilization, but they traveled across Eastern Europe. Hey, Queen, how you doing? And this is very important. I, I do this because I don't want black people. Black people don't have a huge miseducation about one another. And I, I, I don't like that at all. But um, so they are classified as the Moors. These are the black people who taught the European world. And I said it, the European world, um, as far as like the Renaissance, they taught education, they taught philosophy, they taught science and mathematics. They taught agriculture. There's literally, you can literally look up the Moors alone and the great impact that they had on what we, what some people say, um, or the small terms that they use, like, yeah, we taught the Europeans how to bathe. We taught them hygiene. We taught them different forms of agriculture. And in this term, just like in the Islamic faith of all the, all the Islamic people beforehand, the Muslim people, even when they conquered that region of Spain and Europe, the Eastern world, they still allowed those people to keep their religion. They never said that you have to convert. They don't force you to do that. They say, if you are Christian and you want to be Christian, fine. You don't care. And to me, that is the beauty of what I see in my people in general and the faith, that um, morality and empathy that they have and sympathy that they have, even through the fighting, even through the fighting. But one of the things that I mentioned, um, especially if you look into um, the Moorish history, is that when the Europeans ran across them, they were in awe of this mass um, army of mainly made up of, of Black or African descended men, but they call it an Islamic army. So there were um, Arab men there too, but the mass majority of the army was of Black men. And they had, and their leaders were black. So the Amorvids and Ahmads, they had black leaders. These were black kings and they're referred to in Africa, except uh, the man called Abu Hassan as black Sultan. Sultan is a, is a more of a, like Aladdin. So the Sultan is another word for like king or leader. And they refer to him as the black Sultan. And then we're going to go over from the eastern part of Africa. We're going to move over to the western part of Africa. So in the western part of Africa, um, Islam was influenced by holy men called uh, Marabits. Um, and it was really big in Senegal during the 13th, around the 11th century and the 13th century. That was a really big impact. So they taught them, you know, the, the value of morality uh, value philosophy, believing um, in Allah and things of that nature. And as I talk about Islam, I forgot to say this in the beginning. Um, Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Um, it is a greeting. That's a, a world renowned greeting um, that you do to uh, Muslim people. Because, uh, like I always say, I want to read anything I talk about, I also want to give it a mutual bounds of respect. Um, but as we go forward, as far as the influence of Western Africa, 
and how it's going to connect to America. So now we're going to go from Western Africa and then we're going to go travel over to America. And this intertwines with the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, this was very deep for me to learn uh, because when I took my ancestor test, as you guys know, and if you get a chance to talk to any Africans, please do not believe that they don't all dislike us. Reach out and talk to them. They are willing to talk to you. Um, they'll tell you that a lot of us as descendants of African people are related to West African people. So. There is a man by the name of Omari Abid Said. He was probably one of the last slaves that were captured. He was probably one of the last slaves that were captured in the Atlantic slave trade in the 18th century. Remember, slavery was supposed to be abolished by then. Now, here's the kicker and why he's so important and why I don't understand why he's not talked about when they teach us about history during slavery. It's, it's weird, I don't understand it. So he wrote an autobiography in Arabic. Remember, this is supposed to be a slave. Now the construct that they try to teach us about when it comes to our people when we traveled over here is that we lost everything, that we pretty much came with nothing, that we were no one, we had no teachings, no cultures. Those are lies, all of those are lies. This is, a, this is a man who was captured at the age of 37, I might add. He's a grown man. He's a 37-year-old man who was captured and sold into slave. And he wrote about um, his life being a slave um, in Arabic because he knew, this was an intelligent black man, he knew that, well, these people speak English and all these, they don't understand this language. So in order for me to keep something of myself or my former self. I'm gonna write my autobiography in Arabic. And one of the first things he write in his op opening intro is a verse from the Quran. And the Quran says, all ownership belongs to God. God is the only owner. And he wrote that as for a, as far as a rebellious quote to the fact that I may be here you may have me in these chains, but you do not own me, whether it's mind, body, or, or soul. And I'm going to keep that forever. I know he didn't care. Uh, of course, he cared about his situation and circumstances, but he knew because of his faith, he's like, the only person that owns me is God. So um, they translate his autobiography, and I'm going to read some quotes for you. He says, before I came to this Christian country, my religion was the religion of Muhammad. He also says, they came to our place, our home. He is from a part of Africa, which probably is Western Africa, probably in Senegal, called Futu. He remembers that. He hasn't forgotten that. Um, where, two, where two rivers meet. This is a part of his uh, autobiography. He says, they came, they killed many men. They took me to the great sea. And this is where Senegal comes because Senegal was one of the biggest slave ports in Western Africa. And probably what happened was where he went through the doors of no return. The doors of no return are very 
um, significant, especially to us uh, being African descended people, because they say once you went through that door or left through that port, um, you were you were no longer supposed to ever see your former family again. So once you left through the door of no return, your tribe is gone, your family is gone, aunties, uncles, moms, dad, wives, children, um, you are separated forever, which is very sad. Um, but we continue. Now, he says that once they brought him to the great sea, they sold him to the hands of the Christians. That's how he refers to these people, these Christian people, these Christian white people. Um, and this was at the age of 37. Like I remember, he's a grown man. He was brought to Charleston, South Carolina. And that is special to me is because upon my DNA test and where my grandmother is from, I have connections to South Carolina. And it comes up in my DNA test. that says, yeah, these people were brought here along with the, you know, the 13 colonies during slavery. Now, all of this lets you know that upon the people that he went with, of course, you're not going to separate everyone, at least not that region. And that lets you know that over 20% or at least of a quarter up to the people that were brought on each ship were Muslim people. As you can see, this is a Muslim man writing his autobiography in Arabic. So this knowledge alone destroys the, the, the construct that they try to teach us that we were no one. We were someone before here. I am proud of the people that we've become. I am proud of the, the black culture that we created, this melting pot of mixed Africans that we are. But I know that we wasn't just people in chains with, with no knowledge of self, with no intellectual value, with no knowledge of religion, with no knowledge of spirituality. We were people before that. Um, and then we're going to move on to more present day, and we're going to talk about the influence of Islam in America um, as far as the 1960s and the creation of black men and great black men. And when I say that, I'm talking about how Islam impacted one of the greatest black men that we know in our culture, as far as black culture, is Malcolm X. A lot of people like to talk about Malcolm X as this great civil rights leader, which he was. Um, he was very admirable and very um, into the mission of liberating black people. But Malcolm X, the creation of Malcolm X came from his teachings and his faith of Islam, him being a Muslim and those teachings that he got from the nation of Islam, which is why black people in general, regardless that we are Muslim or not, you really won't find black people across this country that don't have a respect for the nation of Islam. Because I've said this before, uh, I've seen other versions of great black men and no disrespect to um, MLK, but when it came to what I imagine the strength of seeing a black man stand up against oppression, I imagine somewhat of a man from the nation. That is who I imagine, similar to Malcolm. 
That is the black man I imagine. I imagine that black man with the bow tie in the tux saying that you will not oppress my people. And if you try, you will deal with a force of me, this type of black man. So that that is why I always have a high respect when it comes to um, the Nation of Islam, people like Malcolm and um, Muhammad Ali. And it's crazy because as long as I've heard the name Muhammad Ali, which he is originally known as Cassius Marcellus Clay. Very proud of his actual name for people who actually know me. But anyway, um, you know, so the nation and nation of Islam and Islamic faith taught these great men about morality, about unity, um, especially how they taught when it came to uh, the black people, empowering the black people teaching the black people about economics, like the, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and his wife, Claire. Claire started the University of Islam. They taught economics. They taught self-pride, self-empowerment. Islam has such an uh, impact on us as a culture, um, even the nature. It goes into hip-hop. You have people from the early 90s up to present day who are Muslim and who are who are black men or African descended men or Afro men. You know, these are all same terms to me. Whether I call you an Afro man, a black man, it's vice versa. It's the same love, it's the same word to me at this point. Um, but you have men like Public Enemy from the 90s, late 80s. You got Most Deaf, you got Comet to present day. You got Dave East. He's a Muslim. You got R.I.P. to Pop Smoke. He was a Muslim. You got Kevin Gates. He's a Muslim. So apparently there has been this creation that is more relatable to us as a black culture because like the nation, those were the example of people that we seen fought for us um, and empowered us and gave us a point of self-identity. And um through one of the videos when I was watching about the influence of Islam, especially in hip hop, that cornerstone that gave us a place of self-identity that we needed when we were going through an era like the late 90s, early 90s, late 80s of self-identity, uh, a space of self. Um, especially for the men and women who grew up fatherless, because you got to remember during the 80s and 90s, that was the crack era. That was the crack epidemic. So we needed spaces and people and the creators like Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X um, to be examples of men that we could see, uh, because a lot of those fathers back then were locked up due to mass incarceration. So there's a space, an important space that I feel that at least in regards to the Islamic impact through the nation, um, which is a great value on Black people, Black history worldwide, next to the Moors, um, just teaching other people worldwide. So these, these are the things that I feel that are truly valued and of value that need to be taught in Black history. Black history does not need to be a two-page book on just the Americanized version. Black history, because we are all African descended people and we are all black, needs to be worldwide. That is how you get miseducation about who we are individually. Um, but then I want to talk about 
really quickly, I want to talk about what attracted Malcolm, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. Like I said before, it was about the unity and the morality and the strength and discipline that came with the teachings of Islam through the nation of Islam and the Islamic faith, being Muslim. Um, one thing that I resonated with when it came to being a speaker, being a freelance activist, being a person who was trying to empower his people through my voice um, and through you know, things that you actually see me do is that just like Malcolm, I struggle with being a spiritualist, practicing openly as far as researching all these different religions and our connections to the world, but also still wanting to free my people from their mental chains. A lot of people don't want to talk about the, um, the effects, the mental effects and the generational effects that slavery has had on us. So that is why I'm here. That is why I'm speaking, um, because with everything that's going on in the world, we need to empower each other. We need to come together. So that is one of the things that I related when they started to talk about Malcolm X and his struggles, um, being a Muslim and being black, wanting to free his people, liber liberate his people, but still be um, in the Muslim faith uh you know, follow the guidelines of the Islamic faith, being a Muslim. And the same with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is mostly known for being the GOAT of boxing. But, and I'm paraphrasing from the interview I watched in the 1968 interview, this man was charged for going to jail. He's supposed to, he was supposed to go to jail during this time. He's 25. I'm 25 at this time. And it's crazy how enlightened young black men become when we think for ourselves at our younger ages. He's 25, he's doing this interview. He's referred to as the go to boxing, the greatest of all time. But he says he found more happiness in his religion, in the guidelines of Islam, becoming a Muslim than he ever did fighting. He says fighting at this point in time was more of an economical resource to pay off the debt due to crooked people of the fact that he says, and there, there's a, a famous, a famous uh, line or video about him in regards to him saying why he doesn't want to go to war. He says, I refuse to, I'm paraphrasing this also, I refuse to go to war uh, to go and try and liberate another people when I'm getting false liberation here. My people aren't free here. My people are still being oppressed and distreated and mistreated here. So I'm going to go fight for a country that isn't doing right by my people that are already here. He didn't feel that that was fair. And to me, that is just. That is a just value. Um, I am not discrediting the black men and women who fought in our wars because I always tell people that I believe that a lot of the times they went and did that as the belief that maybe this country will truly hold up to the promises that they've been promising us for a very long time. Our 40 acres and a mule, the fact that we'll be free if we go and fight, we'll get this, we'll get that if we go and fight, right? Apparently, you know, that's not working out for us even up until this day. But um, he didn't care 
about the fact that there were a lot of broken promises and misleading quotes and misleading um, introductions and views of, about the country because he had his faith. And he knew upon those teachings that if I can educate, they don't even have to be Muslim. They don't. If I can educate my people, um, whether it's related stuff through the faith or through what I've learned through the schools, that I can liberate and free them, that's enough for me. He was happy with that. He didn't care about the $280,000 worth of debt that he was in. He was like, I am on a mission for my people and my faith allows me to keep that humbleness and allows me to keep that drive to free my people. And it's the same with MLK and him following uh, the Baptist route, that version of Christianity and things of that nature. But for me, they mainly believe in building for self, which I say to this day, we need to build for self. We need to empower self, support self. Uh, and we need to continue to talk about reparations. I still believe that we are, we are owed reparations by this company. Period. We are owed reparations by this country. I truly believe that, and I truly believe that we're owed that, and we need to continue to talk about that. Um, but I want to wrap it up there. I want to say thank you for listening to the show. Hope you got valuable information. Follow me on all social media, YouTube, my podcast. This is my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, follow me on TikTok. Everything is the lost African. You will see the picture. You will see my face. If you click on the profile, that's how you'll know it is me. Um, but that is me for today. I'm your boy, the Lost African Afro Boy, and I'll holler at y'all later.